Welcome to the Nerd Review. This is the show where we talk about movies, TV shows, video games, books, and comic books. Today you are listening to Season 2, Episode 19, and we are talking about horror movies. Today's episode is a bit more abstract, and we're going to be talking about themes and what it is that attracts us to horror movies. So let's jump into all things horror now. Let's start off this episode with a quick rundown. I am a huge horror nerd fan. I have been a fan of horror movies. I feel like every time I pronounce the word, it just comes out horror movies. And I'm not talking about porn or movies with horrors in them. I'm talking about horror movies, scary movies, uh, dark movies, all of these things. Things with gore and thrillers and psychological craziness. And I've mentioned it before in other episodes. I have been an initiated horror fan for many years. And I say initiated because until you've really sat down to watch your very first very scary movie, and I'm not talking scary movie, the parodies. I mean, a very scary, bloodtastic you know, curdling, blood curdling. I'm trying to think of good analogies here. Uh, but that kind of initiation, when you really have yourself scared shitless, sitting in front of the TV, grabbing the covers, trying to cover your eyes, that is the true initiation into becoming a horror fan because it's that sensation and that feeling of being super scared, being completely terrified in your own living room that kind of begins the journey of becoming a fan of horror. And I'm gonna continue trying to hit those syllables, horror, uh, so we know what I'm talking about. And uh, let's, let's just jump into it. Now, there's this fascination with the macabre, and obviously that goes hand in hand with horror movies. As now, let's just delve into the dark and unexplained of why, why do human beings have an inexplicable attraction to the macabre, the unsettling, and the terrifying? Horror movies, a genre that often delves into the deepest corners of fear, have captured this fascination with their chilling narratives and spine-tingling visuals. For some, this attraction develops early on, leading to a lifelong obsession with all things horror. And of course, I am one such individual. A self-proclaimed horror nerd, I grew up immersing myself in the world of horror movies, paving the way for a profound appreciation for the craft, the art, and the production value behind these cinematic spectacles. From the creaking doors of haunted houses to the menacing shadows lurking in the dark, or buckets of blood and gore, horror movies have an uncanny ability to evoke a range of emotions that are as unsettling as they are captivating. The allure lies in the adrenaline rush, the heart-pounding suspense, and the catharsis that follow the resolution of the terror. For this horror enthusiast, these sensations began to take root in an early age. Raised in a household that embraced the genre, I was experiencing horror movies long before my peers. While some might argue that exposing a child to such spine-chilling content is inappropriate, it was such a product of the times. I've said it before, I was a latchkey kid and in a single-parent household during the weekdays, monitoring my viewing habits all hours of the day was nigh on impossible. And funnily enough, my uncles, uh, my Uncle Chris, shout out to Uncle Chris, is uh, only about 12, 12 years older than me. And if you do the math, when I was seven, eight years old, he was 19, 20 years old. And if he wanted to watch a movie and I just so happened to be sitting in the basement, you know, staring at the TV, uh, he wasn't going to be rude and chase me out of the room. And if I was adamant that I wanted to watch this movie, well, that was it. I had made my decision and now I had to live with it. And I've, I've probably told similar stories or this story at least three or four times in previous episodes. But this is how I ended up seeing Resident Evil uh, when it you know filmed on a 2001 camera personal video camera when it first came out it was still in theaters and probably the first pirated movie I ever saw too wow I just thought of that Uncle Chris uh, set me up for a life of horror movies and internet piracy 
It was a what a great role model, uh, you know. Shout out to Uncle Chris, but he, he, definitely a great role model. He, he instilled in me uh, a passion for all things nerd, all things from Buffy the Vampire Slayer to zombies. Uh, he had the graphic novels for The Walking Dead. I knew what The Walking Dead was long before it hit AMC, uh, all those many years ago. And so it's just it, it starts a it started out really young, and I think it's it's fun and it's more engrossing in that way when it's when you started really young because now the older you get the more memories you have and the fond memories and you can look back and remember and recall those those great memories and that is in it one of one of the parts in and of itself is what draws people to horror and it's the the bonding and the social aspect of sitting down with a group of people which can obviously it's not um specific or unique to horror as, as as an art or as a medium but um it's one of the pinnacles of the the i'm looking for the word here the spectacle the 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 show that goes around the show so you know like sitting down with a bowl of popcorn and some friends adds to the experience and having those memories of being super young and having that routine of going over to a friend's place or having friends come over to my place and we were watching you know horror movies and we're all getting scared and screaming and shoving each other and trying to scare each other and then for the rest of the night you know nobody wants to go you know out of the room or into the dark basement to get you know something or you're playing bloody mary with your friends these are all you know they have their history and their their attachments into the past and so starting young might may seem inappropriate um, but honestly it can lead to a, such a passion for different and different things such medium such a medium of different things uh, is where I'm where I'm trying to go with that tangent but let's let's move it back into here and uh, so the first pirated horror movie I ever saw was uh, Resident Evil and um, actually this is an anecdote that goes along with it um, very similar to me seeing Resident Evil for the first time um, was my aunt she is actually even closer in age with me she's only about nine years older than me and when she wanted to watch a movie she was actually staying over at my mom's place my mom had already moved out my mom and dad were together and uh so they were gonna watch Hannibal Lecter I believe and Catherine was adamant she was old enough she wanted to watch the movie and she couldn't she couldn't fin I don't believe she could finish it and she couldn't go to bed after having watched the movie she insisted on needing to watch something else so they watched hercules and she had nightmares of hercules eating people which is to this day one of the funniest like byproducts of watching a horror movie the concept of a zombie hercules going around and eating people and to my mom's uh you know mom, a shout out to my mom she had a great sense of humor and most of these are most of these movies aren't even r-rated here in quebec at worst pg-13 and i was already eight nine years old so it wasn't that bad and some of these movies are actually rated pg here as example the meg 2 recently came out uh the nun 2 is going to come out recent it's going to come out soon there are these all of these movies are PG-13. Even the Hellraiser movies and The Conjuring and any like straight up R-rated horror movie that you can think of here in Quebec in Canada, a uh, PG to PG-13 because we just don't rate movies as strictly as they do in other places. So uh, let's 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 continue. Uh, now this led to some, like I said, awesome sleepovers, and my house was considered the cool house where everyone wanted to hang out and watch horror movies because they weren't allowed to at home, which is just, like I said, some of my best memories. And so I grew up watching horror movies that were perhaps, you know, intended for a more mature audience. And this budding horror aficionado began to appreciate the art of storytelling in its darkest form. And I definitely used that as a, I, I used to write a lot of short stories. And a lot of my short stories were pretty dark. And that was just my fascination with the macabre and all of these things. I marveled at the, the meticulous 
ridiculous construction of plots that twisted and turned, you know, leading characters down these harrowing paths. The horror horror genre often challenges conventional narratives, allowing for unexpected twists and constant state of uncertainty. This is where the true essence of horror lies in the art of keeping the audience on the edge of their seats, never knowing what malevolent force might materialize next. And then there's the production value of horror movies is often understated aspect of their allure behind the scenes. There's a symphony of creative minds working diligently to bring nightmares to life from practical effects that transform actors into creatures of the night to intricate set designs that create eerie atmospheres. The craftsmanship involved is nothing short of remarkable. The creation of prosthetics, makeup, and costumes can turn a human thespian into a grotesque monstrosity or a vengeful spirit. This transformation not only elevates the visual impact, but also showcases the dedication of artists committed to realizing the director's chilling vision. Now, the art of horror extends beyond the obvious visual elements. Soundscape plays an incrucibly, not a word, uh, equally crucial, incredibly important role in evoking fear, a well-timed creaking floorboard, a haunting melody, or a sudden silence can be as terrifying as any jump scare. Sound engineers and composers work in harmony to manipulate emotions, enhancing the overall experiencing and ensuring that every moment resonates with the audience on such a primal level. A single sound can send shivers down the spine and linger long after the credits have rolled. What I enjoy about being a nerd of horror, a part of any other nerdum that I have, is that it, it gives me this insatiable curiosity about the mechanics of fear. Delving into the psychology of horror and exploring why certain tropes terrify while others fall flat. The horror aficionado in in me uh you know that horror you know understands that horror movies are uh, you know a mirror reflecting societal anxieties and taboos through monsters and ghosts and other you know otherworldly entities these films provide allegory and outlet for you know confronting the unknown and the uncomfortable uh this you know, this yearning to, you know, just add depths to all these different concepts and tropes is such, it gives me such a love for horror. And that brings me to the evolution of horror cinema is, is just a testament to its enduring appeal. From the gothic horrors of the early 20th century to the psychological thrillers of today, the genre has adapted the changing sensibilities while retaining its core essence. This horror appreciation and you know appreciating the evolution tracing the threads of influence and innovation that have shaped the genre's trajectory from the classics that have paved the way to the eagerly anticipated next groundbreaking installment that will redefine horror for a new generation which seems to happen every 10 or so years and a new director comes along with such a crazy idea or or a new technique and they just blow it out of the water and I'm going to mention a few of those uh, coming up so I've always been a huge nerd and my fascination with horror and gore and all the things macabre in my late teens led me on a journey of exploring the why uh, part of my horror fandom why am I a fan of horror uh, what is it that draws me in on all of those standard questions that you see online? Am I crazy or am I a psychopath? Uh, you know, am I you know am I going to grow up into be a murderer because I'm watching all these you know dark TV series CSI? It's all about murder and all these you know these movies that revolve around death and the macabre. And so the resounding answer is no. I am a perfectly normal person, and in fact, my fascination with horror is as normal as a sports fan, as a, his obsession, his or her obsession with their home team and their favorite sport. So let's jump into that now, The just the kind of background on 
why we're so drawn to this. There's so many things to be drawn to, so many interesting themes from the creativeness fra to the, 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 the behind the scenes information that I mentioned. Um, and there, there's so much more in the horror world, not just what we see in the movie and what we hear, the, the cool effects and the jump scares and the cool stories and the interesting this and that, but there's something else at play here. So let's talk about that. Now the term macabre, refers to a style, a genre, or a theme that is characterized by a focus on death, darkness, the eerie, and the unsettling. It often involves subjects that are grim or morbid and associated with death or the supernatural. The macabre can be found in various forms of art, literature, and media, including, of course, horror movies. Now, the allure of horror movies, despite their macabre and unsettling nature, actually lies in several psychological and emotional factors. So let's take a look at a couple of these now. There's many, many, many factors. It's a very complex onion, if you want a little uh, anecdote from, from Shrek, um, that it's a complex onion with many layers. So the first and the foremost that I think is the most important is the adrenaline and excitement. Horror movies trigger the body's fight or flight response, releasing adrenaline and causing physical reactions like increased heart rate and heightened senses. This psychological arousal can create a sense of excitement and thrill, which many people find enjoyable in a controlled setting, which is exactly the same thing that is happening to a sports fan watching a game on TV or in the arena, and which most fans say is way more fun and exciting watching the game in the arena and the same thing goes for horror movies watching a horror movie in a theater full of people all tense sitting on the edge of their seats jumping and screaming at the same time is well it's bullet point number two actually it's catharsis and relief the experience of fear and suspense in horror movies can provide a sense of catharsis allowing viewers to release pent-up emotions and anxieties. After the tension builds and reaches its climax, the resolution provides this cathartic release, which can be emotionally satisfying. Next, there is safe exploration of fear. Horror movies offer a controlled environment to explore and confront one's fears and anxieties. By experiencing fear in a fictional context, viewers can better understand their own emotions and reactions without facing real-world consequences. Growing up, I was always unsettled by complete darkness, which is a fancy way of saying I was scared shit of the dark. Let's just call it what it was. And maybe this was because I watched a ton of horror movies and multiple seasons of CSI by the time I was 12. However, eventually, I realized I had nothing to be afraid of. In the dark, there are plenty of things to be afraid of that you can't see, but in your house in the dark, there are nothing. Well, there's not nothing, but there's nothing to really be afraid of. It, just in the dark in itself. It's exactly the same with the lights on. Uh, and the front door is locked and I'm home completely safe in my dark bedroom and just as safe when I sit in the living room and watch a super scary movie. This might make my heart pound and my hands sweat and I might dive under the covers, though I can experience this very heights of fear, the, the, the heights of a, a fear roller coaster, if you will, from one end to the other, uh, while at the same time being completely safe. And this is an incredible sensation. If you haven't experienced it, I highly recommended it. This would be akin to experiencing, we've managed to replicate experiences like this. And I don't think a lot of people um, really take the moment to acknowledge what we're experiencing. You, you experience a movie and, and you experience a, you know, a game of sports, a hockey, I want to say game of sports so I don't pigeonhole anybody. If you don't like hockey or you don't like football, which are basically the only two sports that I watch. Um, if you experience a hockey game where you see a riot after a hockey game or a, a football game and you always you know people are always like oh why are they doing that what could be you know overcoming them and the, what's overcoming them is a psychological state of being feeling like you yourself just you know fought in the gladiator arena or something you know that crazy and that's what sports are they're an extension of the gladiator ring which was an extension of controlling not controlling well yeah in a, in a sense controlling i'm getting very tangenty here and i don't want to uh step into something or say something that's not a hundred percent accurate because i haven't done all of my background research but i do know the gist of these things that um and that that's how it 
interaction in your mind and that's why we get these sense of feelings of being excited and your pupils dilate and your hands start sweating almost as if you yourself were in this fight or flight situation uh just as the same as you were playing hockey or if there was a lion directly in front of you and you had to make a split second decision to go left or right in one situation in current times it's the difference between scoring a goal or not scoring a goal but a hundred years ago 500 years ago a thousand years ago it was the difference between life and death and now we've managed to recreate the environment and the settings to the point where you still feel the same emotional response the same psychological impact and that is the underlying appeal of horror movies getting to really examine and and feel that fright that terror but at the same time know that you're completely safe and speaking of the unknown curiosity about the unknown is the next bullet point i guess uh, humans have an innate curiosity about the unknown and the unexplained horror movies often tap into this curiosity by presenting supernatural or paranormal elements that challenge our understanding of reality as an example i've been watching a ton of hellraiser movies i just binge watched almost half of the franchise and while most people say that hellraiser falls into the same category as saw movies and that it's just torture porn i disagree in that almost completely. The Cenobites are elevated creatures from the dimensions that humans can't even comprehend. They are some very interesting concepts and allegories about the fine line between pleasure and pain, which most adults are very aware in the correct setting, pleasure and pain can mix together very well, uh, which is all I will say about that because I wouldn't want this episode to be rated R. Uh, so I'll circle back around to more about Hellraiser. I have a few more facts uh, to talk about. Let's, let's, uh, factors, I guess. Yeah, factors. Let's, let's move on, shall we? Uh, so social bonding. I mentioned this uh, already. Watching horror movies movies can be a communal activity where friends or family gather to experience the thrills and scares together. Sharing these experiences create a sense of bonding and shared emotion. Like I've already mentioned this, the first of uh, all those awesome sleepovers with friends and watching horror movies, you know, whatever we get our hands on, waiting for everyone to fall asleep and then watching it or bonding with my uncle over Resident Evil. And, you know, I come to think of it, actually, my other uncle who's a bit younger. Uh, he introduced me, my Uncle Ted, he shout out to Uncle Ted. He introduced me to Chucky when I was probably 10 or 11 and I never looked at another doll or stuffed animal the same way. And I recently watched Annabelle, part of the Conjuring series, because you're sure as shit I don't have one one of those dolls in my house. Uh, so, uh, and that takes us into artistic and creative appeal, which I already kind of mentioned a little bit at the beginning. Many horror movies are crafted with that meticulous attention to visual and auditory details, the creative use of lighting, sound effects, makeup, special effects can be captivating, making horror movies not only about fear, but also about appreciating the artistry involved. After Hellraiser, I've moved on to the Conjuring series, by James Wan and these are some of the most absolutely best most terrifying horror movies I've ever I've watched ever I've watched hundreds of horror movies at this point um, so I believe that's saying something the sound and even the lack thereof is often some of the most eerie parts of the movie uh, his creativity and crafting truly terrifying scenes and imagery is incredibly captivating and we're, we'll circle back to around uh, to the Conjuring and Hell and Hellraiser. I have some I have some stats and facts and stuff about those. So uh, let's continue with the factors that that uh, captivate us and make us want to watch all of these horror movies. So the the next one, one of the last ones I have is intellectual stimulation. Uh, horror movies often engage the mind by exploring these psychological, moral, and philosophical themes. They can prompt viewers to reflect on the nature of fear, the human psyche, and even societal issues in different allegories and different myths and different ways of applying the standard tropes uh, in new ways. Uh, one of the many things that have come from it is the, the final girl, the girl that outlives everybody, and where originally the final girl was typically the, the only virgin of the group, because if you have premarital sex, you're going to die. 
Spy, which was one of the you know funny tropes of the '70s movies. Um, that I, th- I believe it was a way of of getting you know, the critics on board and 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 maybe some of the Puritans back then that they're horror movies and slasher movies. But don't worry, it's only the sinners and the ones who are having sex and smoking drugs. They're the only ones that are going to die. All of your pure and and virgin uh, characters they live to the end and that's I mean that's being completely turned on its head at this point uh, in most horror movies in you know Happy Death Day and a lot of modern movies the main characters and the final girls are by no way by no terms no no meaning of the term yeah no meaning of the term are they virgins and they can still kick everyone's ass and they can still you know send the devil back to hell or cut the head off of the zombie or do anything like that um which is which is a nice you know <laughs> good, we, at least we got away from all of those weird uh weird fact not factoids weird um inclusions i guess is the best word these weird inclusions about like i don't don't even know how to how to explain it these these old tropes that had to do with things like that and that goes into what i said about horror movies also evolving with the sense of sensibilities of society and how they reflect these things back at us at the time and i believe that is what it was reflecting that at the time being a virgin was like oh so important in society that the only person that would survive was the virgin and the good girl and now we we kind of done away with that and that old type of thinking and in an essence the fascination with horror movies is a com- complex interplay of psychological emotion and intellectual factors. It offers a unique blend of excitement, catharsis, curiosity, and artistic appreciation that draws individuals to explore the darker aspects of human experience within a safe and controlled environment. And that's definitely one of the things that really brought me into it. This comp- It's just a, a complex horror onion, and it is super interesting to dive into. And I've just begun watching The Conjuring movies, the the franchise, and the movies are absolutely fantastic so far. I've just finished uh, watching The Conjuring 2, and wow, am I excited for this series. Definitely heart-pounding. Plus, there is some super interesting history behind it all that centers around Ed and Lorena Warren. Uh, pioneers of paranormal investigation and the inspiration behind many horror franchises so that in and of itself was something that I found super interesting when I started watching these movies Uh, so let's jump into that now now as I started watching the conjuring movies and I was doing some research into the inspiration and the concepts behind the conjuring I was vaguely aware that I knew it was based on a true story quote you know based on a true story and that the the characters Ed and Lorraine Warren were real people. These were their real names. They were born and they they existed. They aren't just characters in a movie. Um, but I wasn't aware of the profound impact they had on the supernatural and the paranormal in real life investigations and the application of trying to identify and prove that there are things that we cannot explain through just rational science, spirits, demons, things like this. Uh, but they they actually spent their entire lives. They were demonologists and and they had books and they did seminars and they dedicated the most of their lives to assisting people who were, uh, you know, in their words, experiencing hauntings and possessions and they needed all sorts of assistance from the church and. And so all of this actually happened. There are real accounts. Um, You can believe, choose to believe or not uh, on whether or not they were actually being haunted uh, or if these individuals were con artists. And I'm not going to touch on that. I'll mention it. I'll I'll talk about that a little bit at the end. Um, But it's more about the super interesting lives and and how uh, all of these these things these interactions and and cases that they worked on have actually led to being inspired and adapted into some of the biggest horror movies that we know today including the conjuring and what i didn't know was the amityville horror uh movies is that's where they got their original recognition and popularity was through that the amityville haunting and apparently this was a real case that they worked on they went to this house and they assisted these people and now obviously the movies 
may be a bit more dramatic, and I'm not certain if anybody was actually murdered uh, during the Amityville haunting, or if they actually proved that there were ghosts. There's a lot of hearsay, there's a lot of controversy around these things. Uh, but what, what was the most interesting was that the, the house, the Amityville house, is real. You can go and visit it. Uh, and they had, if you've seen the first Conjuring movie, they show you um, Ed and Lorraine's house, the Warrens, they show you their house, and they have this room um, it's all locked up and they have shelves and shelves of all these supernatural uh, items including the Annabelle doll and all of these other you know supposedly haunted and possessed items that need to be blessed by a priest and kept you know under lock and key lest they fall into the hands of somebody else who will be haunted all of that exists in real life there's a museum there was the Ed and Lorraine Warren Museum and that room was real and you could go and you could actually see the real Annabelle doll that was supposedly uh, you know the source of all of that story and the haunting and everything and and, it, and it's been there it predates the movie so it wasn't something that was made in conjunction with the movie like an attraction or a theme park or something all of that existed long before they created the movie these two individuals dedicated their lives um, they've become synonymous with paranormal investigation they were this dynamic duo whose real life experiences and cases both fascinated and terrified audiences around the world. Uh, they are renowned for that work and their investigations as demonologists uh, delving into the supernatural and unexplained while leaving an indelible mark on pop culture and horror entertainment. So Ed Warren, born September 7th, 1926, and Lorraine Warren, born January 31st, 1927, couldn't find her maiden name, uh, it was just listed them as both Warren, were husband and wife team who dedicated their lives to studying and documenting paranormal phenomenon. They founded the New England Society of Psychic Research in 1952, uh, the oldest paranormal investigation group in the United States. Over the course of their career, they investigated thousands of cases involving hauntings, demonic possessions, and other supernatural occurrences. What said Ed and Lorraine Warren apart was not only their dedication to their work, but also their compassionate and respectful approach to these seeking help with paranormal experiences. To those seeking help. I said these. <laughs> the, they provided support and validation to individuals who felt isolated and terrified by unexplained events. Their investigations often led them to gather evidence, interview witnesses, and collaborate with experts from various fields to understand the nature of the phenomena they occurred, encountered, <laughs> they occurred, that encountered or they incurred. I'm not sure which sounds better. Uh, one of the most famous, like I said, was the Amityville Horror. Uh, the family claimed they were haunted malevolent by malevolent spirits, and they became a book, a documentary, the movie, and there's now four Amityville Horror movies. Movies. Apparently the one with Ryan Reynolds is the best. I have yet to get to it. I decided there are four Amityville horror movies and there are eight, almost nine movies in the Conjuring uh, universe now. So I decided to go with the Conjuring universe because it has more movies. Little did I know that they were both based on the same real life characters. So that's kind of interesting. Now, perhaps their most in enduring legacy is the, the Conjuring universe, which just, you know, it has been... Oh, it's been all 10 years the first Conjuring movie came out in, in 2013 so it's been 10 years uh, now with Annabelle the Nun the Nun 2 is about to come out uh, they all draw heavily from the Warrens real life cases their films have introduced uh, their work to you know a new generation and further solidified their status as iconic figures in paranormal investigations which is just super cool at the end of the day when you think about it uh, the legacy they left is a complex one marked by a blend of admiration controversy and cultural significance uh, you know they were met by skepticism by some uh, of course and and they you know in my humble nerd opinion if they were con artists or not rests with them and it would come down to whether or not they themselves believed what they were saying uh, was it the truth or if they knowingly and dishonestly made others believe that their homes were haunted and i'm not sure if we if anyone can ever prove this and the fact that they dedicated their entire lives to the paranormal long before the publicity and any money or attention came in would leave me to believe that 
these two individuals truly believed in what they were doing and they were trying to help people the same way that the church aims to help people with spiritual guidance um, I believe that's what Ed and Lorraine Warren were setting out to do which is uh, which is all I'll say about that um, it's a little bit uh, politically charged <laughs> the whole uh, do you believe in mediums and people being able to help you with like exorcisms and stuff like that uh, so maybe back in the day they were a bit more honest and less snake oil salesmen and it was less you know TV uh you know like like being pushed like it wasn't being pushed for a tv agenda there wasn't a tv show about it and it's scripted and they're just out for your dollars and back then it was just you know the story got word of mouth and then you know maybe a newspaper got involved and then they wanted to do an interview but it wasn't like season one episode two of you know ed and lorraine going out and and you know setting up a, a seance just to you know sell tv so i i think it's very different and it's very product of the time like I said earlier um, these things they have to be looked at in the context of the time right in the, the late you know 50s early 60s uh, we didn't have the same technology we didn't have the same capabilities and there was a lot of you know uncertainty in spirits and all of this and it was very it was the spirits uh, and the, the the Ouija board all of these things were super popular at the time and and you had the Marilyn Manson oh, Marilyn Manson uh yeah, actually, that's no Charles Manson. I get so many. I get these names mixed up. Marilyn Monroe, Marilyn Manson, Charles. Man like they're all of these names get confused in my head. Uh, we had the Charles uh, Manson and the the murders and the satanic panic was happening. So the 70s was supercharged for this kind of stuff, for sure. And the Conjuring movie franchises now, I think, in my opinion, are some of the the most amazing horror movies right now that you could enjoy uh the franchise stands as a modern testament to the enduring allure of horror cinema they're actually period pieces too so they all take place in like the late 60s early 70s which is really fun uh you get, you get to see all of that uh good period piece production that they do for a movie like that i wonder where they get all those old tvs and clickers and all that old uh you know toys and, and all that stuff i would love to go through one of those production rooms rooms at a at a, at a movie company like a big one that just has like a room full of props from all these different decades that would be that'd be so cool now uh the conjuring it's carved out a niche for itself in the genre captivating audiences with spine tingling narratives skillful craftsmanship and that eerie atmosphere the franchise rooted in these real life cases of paranormal investigators ed and lorena warren it is not only spooked viewers but has has recently redefined horror entertainment in the 21st century which is what i alluded to before about the eagerly awaiting groundbreaking new horror movie it was it was the conjuring and you know i'm looking forward to the the nun too i actually haven't seen the first one but the nun character is in a lot of the conjuring movies even though they're not like the named movies um so that's interesting it's very well they they they've constructed a a cohesive universe narrative through these movies that is rivaling the MCU and to have a horror franchise a horror universe is kind of epic when you think of it we have we have the MCU the superhero cinematic universe and we have the conjuring horror cinematic universe and now we have the monster verse with you know Godzilla versus Kong and all of that these shared universes are honestly so much fun to be a fan and to be a nerd and to have all of these interconnected stories and narrative and characters is just it, it's, it's one of the best appeals of comic books and seeing characters you know having an arc but then they go somewhere else and they have you know something else happens to them and it, it, it kind of mirrors real life in that sense and in my opinion and it's it's one of the most fun elements of being such a huge nerd and having so many different um, things to be passionate about and enthusiastic about uh, one of the franchise's strength uh, the conjuring lies in its ability to create that shared cinematic universe the success of The Conjuring led to Annabelle, The Nun, The Curse of La Lorena, uh, each expanding the universe with its unique brand of horror. And the spin-offs have given secondary characters and folklore and all of this, you know, a chance to shine while maintaining the core essence of that dread that really defines the franchise. 
the critical reception of the franchise has been just amazingly positive. Critics have praised the films for their effective use of tension, well-crafted scares, commitment to building suspense, uh, the franchise's dedication to practical effect, uh, atmospheric cinematography, the eerie sound design. We mentioned that earlier in the episode, how important that can be. It's been widely acknowledged, uh, enhancing the immersive horror experiences. Um, now, while some entries have garnered mixed reviews, the overall impact and influence of the franchise uh, just cannot be denied. Uh, financially, the Conjuring franchise has been a resounding success. It's the eighth most successful franchise of all time, earning a whopping $2.1 billion, despite relatively modest budgets compared to other major Hollywood production, the films consistently deliver impressive box office returns. And this is uh, this financial success can be attributed to a combination of factors, including like strong marketing campaigns, uh, franchise reputation, you know, delivering scares and a dedicated fan base eager to experience the last installment. And it's something that I found interesting that Juddickson the Juddix, I wanted to use that, the Juddix position, uh, I, I messed up, I wanted, I'm trying to use a thesaurus here, and I'm trying to, you know, expand my vocabulary, and then when I try to use the words, I, I, uh, I trip on my tongue over the words, the Juddix position of the budget and the box office success is particularly interesting, while some blockbuster movies demand these astronomical budgets, the Conjuring franchise has demonstrated that effective storytelling and commitment to the craft and this just this deep understanding of horror genre that James Wan 100% has we'll talk about him in a minute uh, they yield substantial profits even with more modest investments and that's something that uh, that I, I believe and I've had this conversation before that other big studios simply refuse demanding huge IP movies that can often seem bland even with insane budgets that continuously bomb at the box office the flash 2023 <laughs> no, sorry i had to clear my throat um the, the the franchise's impact extends beyond the silver screen it has revitalized interests in paranormal investigation and the stories of ed and lorraine warren which is super interesting so not only did it make them a buttload of money and you know 2.1 billion dollars it has it, it has sparked interest in all of these cool discussions about supernatural and the boundaries between the known and the unexpected and all of that really cool stuff, which actually brings us to the last part of this episode and talking about Hellraiser. You probably thought I'd forgotten all about that Hellraiser that I mentioned earlier in the episode, which is exactly how most of the Hellraiser fans probably felt after the third god-awful straight-to-DVD lackluster Hellraiser movie was made. So let's talk about Hellraiser a bit here at the end of... Now, thankfully, in the last few years, the horror gods, or Antichrist, I guess is more accurate, blessed us with some actually really good Hellraiser movies after almost a decade of schlop. Now, the Hellraiser movie franchise is dark and twisted, and it's gone on a journey from the mid-80s that has left its own mark on the horror genre based on Clive Barker's novella, The Hellbound Heart, which is a short story that was written by Clive Barker. The franchise introduced audiences to a nightmarish world of sadomasochistic pleasures, pain, and otherworldly terror with its iconic villain Pinhead, which is funny because one of the things I realized while watching all these movies and having discussions about them is that most people don't know what Hellraiser is, but if you say Pinhead, their response will be, oh yeah, that guy, I remember that. So they don't remember Hellraiser, but they remember Pinhead. So I guess that's the definition of iconic character. Now, he was originally uh, portrayed by Doug Bradley for, I believe, the first five or six movies. Uh, Hellworld would be his last... Uh, foray as actually yeah Hellworld. Hellworld is his last foray which actually also has Henry Cavill which was completely random uh, but after Hellworld uh, around 2011 it got reboot and they recast uh, but Doug Bradley he brought a unique uh, presence to the character he was just fear personified he was indomitable in that sense he was a, he was a huge the way they they the way they presented him in the movie he was just cold calculated 
well-spoken and you know he was going to tear your soul apart is one of his one of his quotes uh and the entire franchise is a unique blend of gore and psychological horror uh hellraiser has become a cult favorite uh intriguing horror enthusiasts with its grotesque visuals and provocative themes now the franchise inaugural film simply titled hellraiser uh was released in 1987 and it's also directed by clive barker himself the story centered around a puzzle box the the the, la marchand contraption can yeah contraption something like that formation something like that uh when solved opens a gateway to a realm inhabited by those cenobites these creatures that have been remade in like very grotesque ways with you know like all the pin head pins in his head or you know the skin has been flayed off their back and the film delves into themes of desire pain and the, the blurred lines between pleasure and torment creating a chilling atmosphere that lingers long after the credits roll. Now, critical reception for Hellraiser has been very mixed over the years. The original Hellraiser film was praised for its originality, visceral horror, and a, uh, just this creation of of a new. Uh, it's at the time when when we've had a lot of you know Jason Voorhees and Friday the Thirteenth and and all these other movies, and then you come in with Clive Baker and he has like a completely new idea and this new concept and these new creatures, which was very interesting and very memorable. And, and you know uh, they created the pinhead character which is very good except subsequent installments uh, definitely started going downhill if I can steal the the series of diminishing returns uh, quote which I believe was used around Star Wars uh, each movie just re returned less and less uh, while some entries are you know just praised for creativity and expansion of the franchise mythos uh, others were criticized for diminishing quality and reliance on formulaic horror tropes a few of these movies even have a zero percent score on rotten tomatoes which is actually impressive i've seen a lot of terrible movies and even those movies had a one to two percent so to get a zero percent on rotten tomatoes you had to have like categorically all one to none or half stars like i don't even know how that equation is equated when you're being reviewed did they just refuse to give you a star you didn't get half a star you got no stars and and they had so many zero star reviews that they're aggregate review score is actually zero percent and that is that is impressive in, in and of itself uh so the the hellraiser franchise the uniqueness lies in its ability to blend that vis visceral gore with psychological horror of you know being left in a world of torment or something like that and the character pinhead with his stoic demeanor and distinctive appearance has become one of the many iconic uh characters in in horror pantheon up there with the likes of freddy cougar and jason Voorhees, chucky michael myers uh pinhead definitely one of the the greats in that sense the the def, the the franchise's exploration of the human psyche and the boundaries of plain and plain and pleasure <laughs> pain and pleasure has also contributed to its enduring appeal uh attracting a dedicated cult following that revels in that unapologetic you know dark and taboo themes which is really interesting uh the budget and box office performance has definitely varied the original hellraiser film was made on a relatively modest budget uh which is true of a lot of movies back then the original friday the 13th uh had a very low budget the original halloween movie had a really low budget and that kind of stems into being more creative because they want to create and show you this amazing movie the slasher movie and they want it to look a certain way but they don't have the budget to do it the easy way so they're going to innovate and be creative and and get to that end goal that that final product in a way that doesn't have the same price tag as the easy way because the easy way just costs a lot of money and so in those modest budgets you actually end up with really good movies from really passionate creators and 
that's the same the same is true as, as the the first um hellraiser like i was saying is the first friday the 13th or, or halloween movie the same is true as hellraiser and it achieved a strong cult following and garnered enough box office success to justify many sequels uh and unfortunately those many sequels like i said kind of went down the tubes uh until recently and and holding out hope and and uh, despite all other in, in inclina inclinations I guess would be a word. Uh, despite that, uh, the Hell the Hellraiser franchise maintained a dedicated fan base, eagerly anticipating each new chapter in the saga, which definitely uh, paid off with the 2022 reboot Hellraiser, currently available on Hulu, uh, which is absolutely fantastic. I definitely recommend that one. It was very well done. And all of that is to explain and talk about where my fascination and the fascination with horror movies and macabre and just the unknown in general, how it taps into primal fears and desires that lie dormant within myself and many, many human beings. These different franchises have had huge impacts that extend beyond the film of the, the, the film of cinema, the realm of cinema, inspiring a diverse range of media, including novels, comic books, video games, um, definitely mixing visceral horror and psychological unease the you know which has allowed huge fandoms to be created around all of this and the census is that its status is as a staple in the realm of dark and unsettling cinema is definitely one that will last a long long time to come uh, be it hellraiser or friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street. I always want to say like Freddy Krueger movies, but they have titles. They're not Jason movies and Freddy movies. They're Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street or Halloween movies or Hellraiser. Any any of these movies, The Conjuring. There are so many great um, horror film series that you can dive into. And most of them have great cult followings. You can find people online. You can get onto a Discord chat room. You can find a Reddit page for them. And you can just start chatting about what it is you like or disliked or what was interesting and and it, it is so much fun to dive into these type of of conversations with fellow-minded passionate nerds and it's 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 really fun it's something that uh, spurs me to continue having these conversations and these deep dives and talking about all of these fun nerd things and this has been a super fun and interesting episode about what attracts us as nerds as people to the dark and dreary and horror-filled theaters that uh, seem to be so prevalent nowadays. There's some really great horror that's been coming out recently from slasher movies and reboots of you know great great franchises scream six recently came out absolutely amazing um there are some really interesting ones be from you know bird box to um ah what was the one with uh krasinski the uh it's not ah crap i'm forgetting names now <laughs> i'm trying to name drop and, and do references off the top of my head and the movies are just not coming as fast as i would like uh bird box the one with sandra bullock you know they had to or the the i want to say quiet place i feel like that's wrong though the one with krasinski where you couldn't talk and like you just had like long periods of of just like sound and and that goes to what I was saying about soundscape being so important in horror movies. And that was one of the the super interesting parts of that movie. And and it just it, it, it's it's very fun and I find it I could talk about it for hours and I have talked about it for almost an hour now. So that's actually where I'm going to wrap up today's episode. So thank you, fellow enthusiasts and listeners, for joining us on another exciting journey through the dark realms of all things nerdy. Uh, insatiable curiosity fuels my passion for dissecting and analyzing and celebrating the intricate details that make our beloved worlds come alive. As we wrap up this episode of The Nerd Review, this has been Season 2, Episode 19, The Nerd Review of 
horror. Uh, I remember that magic of imagination knows no bounds. Let your inner geek roam freely, for it is the force that propels us forward in our endless pursuit of knowledge and enjoyment. Stay tuned for more captivating discussions, engaging debates, and unabashed fandom in the episodes to come. Until then, keep embracing your nerdy inclinations, sharing your discoveries, and never losing that childlike wonder that makes being a nerd an extraordinary adventure. Farewell for now, and may your next adventure be as thrilling as uncovering Easter eggs in a classic video game. Without further ado, this is The Nerd, signing off.